well, today is the day that I've been talking about, the recording, that I told you I'd make a big announcement, and the original plan was, today on this episode, Conversation with Shelby Green, was to plan a simple reveal, AW All In, and then I would plan a simple um, talk about my big announcement. And today, I uh, I plan on that for today's episode. Excuse me, that's gonna air, I'm recording on a Monday night. It's gonna air on a um, obviously Thursday at nine a.m. And it's not because I've, it's been a rough week for a wrestling fan. Outside of all in success, we're gonna talk about that here in a minute. We lost Terry Funk first and i want to talk about terry funk here for the next 10 to 15 minutes of your time maybe i'll take more i don't know maybe it'll be less but terry funk obviously the hardcore living legend now is no longer with us 79 years of age passed away terry had been living assisted living for a while he was having issues getting around he was having dementia with his memory i guess and Terry just, you know, he lived a hell of a life, man. And he passed away peacefully, I guess, in his sleep. And Terry uh, was, you know, you can make the argument for Terry Funk about being top 10, top 20 all time. One of the greatest of all time to ever do it. One of the greatest ever lace of a pair of boots. And uh, Terry had great interviews, great work in the ring. Um, Terry could do a lot of things. Um, he can make you laugh, he can make you cry, he can make you fucking, Terry can portray a little, you know, that little portrayal of his voice and stuff, and Terry did a lot of things, a lot of things well, to the point of, uh, yeah, Terry was just awesome, um, grew, growing up, it's weird, what era of Terry Funk did you grow up in, you know, in the 70s, you remember him as the clean shaven face, NWA World Heavyweight Champion, in the 80s, you remember him for his, you know, his running 81 with Memphis in Memphis, in Memphis, Tennessee with Jerry Lawler, the empty arena match everybody knows about. I'm going to play a little clip of that here in a minute. Um, of course, you know, obviously if you talk about the 80s, you're going to talk about 89 with the run he had with Flair. Or you can talk about his Hollywood run where he did films like Paradise Alley, Over the Top, and my favorite personal favorite, one of my favorite films, Roadhouse. Or you could talk about the 90s when he was in ECW, the independent Smoky Mountain. His late run in the 90s as Chainsaw Charlie, which I remember from his ECW Chainsaw Charlie run. Outside of that, uh, fucking Terry was a lot, man. Terry was great in the ring. He Terry Funk was one of those guys that would come out to the ring and come out in his leather chaps, his hat, his Brandon Iron. And he just literally kicked the shit out of people. I mean, on television, you go back to those, job, those days in Jobbers, he... Terry throw that windmill right, that overhand left, that chop and lay you out. Hell, if you want to, go look at his stuff in Japan. Go look at his stuff in the 70s, 80s of Japan where him and his brother Dory Funk or Jr. are teaming up with team together, taking on Han- Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody or taking on uh, Tenru and Jumbo Th- uh, Trusa and Giant Baba. And then in the, in the 90s, he starts doing Japanese death matches against Onita and Cactus Jack and all these guys beating the hell out of himself. You know, he just, as I take a sip of this water real quick, because I got an email for Culture Kings. Don't care about that. Um, it's more of just, wow, like, Terry Funk is gone. It's weird, man, but at the same time, he lived a hell of a life. I was sitting there thinking the other day about this. 
Al, the, the old school NWA world champions, traveling champions back in the day for the territories, the only ones that are alive are Dory Funk Jr. and Ric Flair. Those only ones that are left to remain, they're alive. They used to go to territory to territory. They're the only ones that are remaining. And it's 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 an era of guys that I hope will never be forgotten. Well, Flair will never be forgotten about. But Flair is going to be remembered for what Flair, I think, now is more remembered for a lot of other things. Like, I think Flair is more remembered for uh, for being a, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I think Flair is more remembered for now what his the jewelry and his style and his promos more than what his work in the ring was. I think that's what that's what Flair's gotten away from. And it, you know, it, it it's a shame because Flair was really good in the ring. But Flair's persona was what he's gonna remember. His persona is a word I'm looking for. And Terry, because I remember thinking about when Dusty Rose died in twenty fifteen, that was one of them. Harley Race passed away, I think, two years ago or 2019. I can't remember. Somebody talk about when you hear this. Remember, look up the date for me. But I remember it was Terry, Dory, and uh, Flair were the only three remaining. Terry's gone, so Dory's alive. Um, but Terry had a hell of a life, man. It, you know, it, you know. My memories of Terry Funk are always going to be a guy that did a lot for wrestling. You know, the guy was being inventive at 50 years old or 48, late 40s. He decided to fucking start doing moonsaults. Terry was a lot of things, man. I mean, Terry was a very, uh, very uh, innovative guy. I mean, Terry can be the, he was a clean cut, shaven baby face in the 70s and the 80s, become the middle aged and crazy, wild and nuts. I mean, there's that famous uh, Tuesday Night Titans video from the WWF in the mid 80s where Funk um, decided to, uh, you know, he, you know, he did this uh, thing in the saloon where he starts to bar fight, and Fung did that whole middle aged and crazy look where he's walking around the ring, and you know, it's 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 very shocking that he's gone. I I hate it, you know, personally, I hate it, and it's just it's just another bad day at the office, man. Another bad day at the office, losing a wrestler like that. Terry Fung, I'm gonna pull up a little. Let's get YouTube up here right now. Let's get a little. Get a little YouTube action, baby. And let's do a little Terry Funk. Terry Funk promo. Let's do a little Terry Funk promo. And I probably laugh a little bit because Punk, Terry is a little crazy. <laughs> and uh, Terry is very out there. So we're going to do a little. Do a little thing. All right. So. Oh, here it is. This is when Flair won his sixth world title. This is 1989, Russell War, not 89. You can look up the description of it on YouTube. Actually, here, let's play. This is a promo right here. Terry Funk's Beautiful Dream. We're going to play this for you guys real quick if there's no advertisement. Hey, there is. Apologies for the advertisement. I got to figure out my volume thing real quick. I apologize for that. Oh, goodness gracious. I don't care. Dress don't care what easy it is. Here we are. Championship or to defend the championship, but I'll tell you this 
off the record. He said he was going to take care of you one way or the other somewhere down the line, my friend. Oh, let me tell you something, Jim Ross, and you simple-minded people. I had a dream last night. Oh, yes, and it was a beautiful dream. I dreamed that I was on the front porch of the Double Cross Ranch, and my father, who's long since gone, was there in a swing, swinging with me, and up drove a long black limousine, and the left front fender was dented in, and the door opened, and out stepped a beautiful lady. And my daddy said, woman, what happened to your left front fender? And she says, I ran over some kind of an animal on the road. I don't know what it was. My daddy said, well, what did it look like? And she says, well, it had great big ears. And it had nostrils, big, huge nostrils, about five inches apart. And it had horse teeth. And it smelled real bad. And my daddy said, my world, girl, you must have ran over a jackass. And I said, what did it smell like? She said, it smelled like hairspray and cheap cologne. I said, woman, you didn't run over any jackass. You ran over Ric Flair. Is he dead? She says, no. But the last time I saw him, he was running scared. Well, let me tell you something, Ric Flair. You look at me in the eye because I am looking at you. You realize that you must live not in the future because there is none you must live in the past give up that belt or else stick your neck out one more time for me stick it out for me Flair. you gutless individual i'm talking to you stick it out stick it out we're not going to listen anymore this fans will be back with the steiners that's Terry Funk for you. That was what Terry Funk was. And yeah, and actually, he was talking about after his Great American Bash run with Flair and everything about that. And uh, yeah, it was just a, uh, it, it, it just sucks, man. It, it really sucks because, you know, Funk's gone. You know, he lived a hell of a life, man. He lived a hell of a life. And life, you know, it has this, you know, it's life. <laughs> I have no way to put it. Let's go ahead and, uh, as a matter of fact, everybody, I've been asked before, before, if there were some matches, if you're not really familiar with Terry Funk, what is, um, what are some really good matches for Terry, to watch for Terry Funk? And I got them in my notes here. I, I went through a list. And as I pull back here, podcast for week, here we go. So, six match. I, I try to give them a five, but I actually have six. Six matches for Terry Funk to watch. The first one that I come up with is Terry Funk versus Ric Flair for the I, for in uh, Clash, for the world title, the I Quit match from Clash Champions 1989. It's around November of 89. It's, you know, look it up. Look up Terry Funk versus Ric Flair High Quit Match 1989. Look it up on you. You won't find it probably on YouTube, but you'll find it on DailyMotion.com. Google search it. You can find it. Another one is 
Terry Funk and the Great Muda versus Ric Flair and Sting. Thunderdome Cage match Halloween Havoc 1989, which is actually a uh, really, really good uh, match. It's a tag team match in Philadelphia. The first ever Halloween Havoc, by the way. Really good. Can you got to talk a little ECW, so we're going to go with Terry Funk versus Sabu. No rope barbed wire. ECW 1997. Born to be wired was the name of the event for the world title. It's not the greatest thing in the world to watch, but it's very. It's got a lot of um, what's the word I'm looking for? A lot of uh, violence, and uh, those guys beat the living hell out of each other and got tangled up in the finish. They got tangled up in barbed wire. It's pretty scary. Pretty scary. Um, another one. I don't have the exact date, but there is a match between Terry Funk versus Mick Foley. No DQ Rawls War 1998. This is around April or it's between like April and May of 98. And it's in, it's right in between WWF Unforgiven, WWF Over the Edge. Look up. It's I probably think it's May, but it's basically where uh, they had a no DQ match, and it was Ter- Mick Foley was not Mankind, Cactus Jack, or Dude Love. He was actually just Mick Foley, and it's a whole thing where him and Funk just beat the living hell out of each other. Funk does a, a moonsault off of the balcony onto some people. Actually, it's actually a lot of a very fun time. I remember watching it yeah, live when I was a kid, and it was a really good blast. We've got to do a little territory for you. Terry Funk versus Jerry Lawler, 1981 in Memphis in Mid-South Coliseum. No DQ matches on YouTube. Look it up. It's one of the most, the crowd's crazy as hell. And Funk and Lawler just beat the living hell of each other. Good match. And finally, the match that I think Terry will always be remiss with. Terry Funk and Cactus Jack versus the New Age Outlaws for the WWF World Tag Team Titles. WrestleMania 14, a dumpster match. Those are the six matches, uh, six matches I would, uh, I would, uh, pick uh, Terry Funk for and uh, yeah condolences to the Funk family and that's all I have to say about that really and then we're going to talk about all in but unfortunately I wish we could <sighs> this is something I didn't was not expecting man so the day after I'm sitting in my room playing a little Madden or why I was watching TV my buddy Trip Price he's been on I had an old podcast with back in the day me and him were talking, and he sent me a text saying Bray Wyatt just died. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? And, of course, I get on see the tweet that Bray Wyatt passed away, uh, Wyndham Rotunda passed away. And the first thing that came to my mind was, what the fuck? Because I read last week, two weeks ago, that, that uh, as this podcast is going on, that Wyatt was close to coming back. He was doing better. He was going to get medically cleared and everything else. Plain and simple. Um... Bray Wyatt, uh, plain and simple, you had a, uh, had, it was reported, they, because it was real quiet, we thought, because a lot of people online were speculating that, well, did he, was he in a car wreck, like Jay Briscoe, uh, there was somebody tweet that put out, I pray to God he didn't kill himself, which I, I was sitting there thinking, like, my God, please, because Bray's had some issues with mental health, and we all know, well, it's well documented, he was really screwed up what happened to Brody Lee, and Barry Windham, his uncle, was it a really bad? Had a really really bad heart attack, I believe. And he just he's just he's just been a lot, a lot. And I thought, man, he's been sick. What's going on? And then, um, the guy for Fightful.com, Sean, I can't remember anything, but he's actually a really good report. Really, he reported that the Wyndham family reached out to him and they allowed him to share this information. Basically, back in February. Bray Wyatt caught COVID. He got really sick and he, it, it affected somehow, some way. COVID screwed his heart up. And Bray actually, uh, you know, he was doing really well and he was having issues. And it comes to final, he died of a heart attack. And 
it didn't really strike a nerve with me at all. It didn't really hit home with me at all. It really didn't register that Bray Wyatt is gone. And I didn't want to believe it. Still don't want to believe it. Um, I was hoping that, you know, he, he, and then I saw the tweets falling from everybody and the tributes and stuff. And I seen the Wyatt family thing. The, you know, it was crazy. Nine years, nine years, nine, ten years ago, I was watching Monday Night Raw and I watched the Wyatt family debut and got a mega, mega, mega push to the point where I was just in awe. Not just with the Wyatt I love the Wyatt family as a group. I fucking thought they were awesome. The Swamp Dwellers, it had a little Kevin Sullivan feel from Florida Championship Wrestling Days. Anybody knows me knows what I'm talking knows territories know what I'm talking about. But Bray Wyatt was someone that just you know what you're a wrestling fan, you go through periods in life where you're like, man, do I really want to watch this? Do I really want to watch this? And Bray Wyatt was one of the people that kept me interested. It was his promos, his work rate. You know, it wasn't the best worker in the world, I never tell that, but man, Bray's Bray's shit looked good in the ring. It looked good, it was solid. I have to take a swig of this water. I watched Bray Wyatt, um, you know, a lot of people were very upset about this because a lot of people when Bray around time this last year, you remember the podcast, I talked about Bray was coming back and I, I was breaking news on my podcast that I've been reading online and I was reading from people when I watched certain things, Bray Wyatt was coming back and I remember he came back last year, Extreme Rules, The Buzz, everybody was going well with it and then, of course, you know, you know, everybody knows he... He was doing the thing local howdy, and it was it was a long term program, and he was working house shows, but he didn't have a live match. He did the Mountain Dew pit, um, uh, pitch black match with L.A. Knight, and a lot of people didn't like it, but I liked it. I thought it was a good little spin. It, it delivered scene with craziness, and it, and L.A. Knight benefited from it, in my opinion, and it was just a good time. And of course, you know, you know he 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 get he gets back with Uncle Howdy, and you start seeing things and. The last time he was in the ring was with Uncle Howdy, who we all know underneath the mask is Bo Dallas, his brother. They lay out the hit row, and he told, told Mont- Montreal, the people in Montreal that night. It was the same night that Sami Zayn had a thunderous ovation in Montreal, and it was the same thing, and Bray Wyatt had a hell of a pop that night. And Bray made it clear. His exact words were, tomorrow night, talking about Lemonade's chairman, Bobby Lashley, Brock Lesnar, whichever one you walks out alive, whichever one you use the winner, just remember, you should run. And that was the last time you would see Bray Wyatt in the ring on WWE television, not knowing the what it was, you know. And I was fine, you know. I went to work that night. Didn't really say much about it. Kind of, just kind of in shell shock about it. Hurt. Didn't feel really well. Uh, felt sick to my stomach, to be honest with you, the whole night. And uh, just started, you know, just reminiscing all the memories I had watching Bray and. You know, you think about his family, his wife, JoJo, the former ring announcer, and four kids. And it, it was just, it just sucks, man, because I really did not expect this. I and mean, nobody expected it. Man, I was 36 years of age. And it's crazy. You know, we know what happened to Brody Lee, a.k.a. Luke Harper. He died in 2020. Everybody knows that. And then Bray, kind of, not in the same way, but unexpectedly, just like that, he passed away. And, you know, nobody knew about what happened with Brody. Nobody knew what happened to Brody. They had a bad, it wasn't COVID. He had a bad lung disease that nobody knew about. And it sucks. And, you know, I, I feel for, you know, outside of his family, man, I feel for Braun Strowman and Eric Rowan. I mean, my God, how are they feeling right now with the wife? I mean, it's crazy. Now, the original three wife members, two are gone. 
That Wyatt family faction. You know, you run down Bray's career, and there's been a lot of issues. You know, his booking's not been the best. His first run on the first time I saw the character Bray Wyatt wasn't on Raw. The first time I saw it, I was watching, you know, clips of NXT on YouTube when they get leaked, and I kept seeing he was. Remember, I remember Husky Harris from from Nexus. It was Bray Wyatt. They gave him that stupid fucking gimmick, and I remember watching this guy on TV, and I was like, man, Husky Harris. I said, that's Mike Rotunda. I remember looking up there that that was the son of Mike Rotunda, IRS, and I thought, man, that's. Mike Rotunda, who's married to the the the, uh, the Blackjack Mulligan family, he's actually, you know, you know, he's actually uh, Blackjack Mulligan's grandson, the, the nephew of Barry Windham. Talk about a a wrestling family. My God, anybody knows territories knows how big of a star Blackjack Mulligan was, and and of course you got um, what's his uh, uh, Barry Windham, who was one of the best workers ever when he was motivated. Obviously, <laughs> there's stories about Barry not being motivated, but there is a, and you. I watched some of the things. I watched. I said, man, he's he's got good size, but he he needs he needs a gimmick. He needs something. And then I started seeing clips online of Husky Harris with new. He grew a beard out, and his hair got a little longer, and uh, he started wearing you know, you know, the Hawaiian shirts and the the, the top hats and not the top hats, but you know what I'm talking about. And started wearing certain other things. I thought the first thing I thought was, well. Looks like Waylon Mercy, Mercy, Mercy was being reincarnated. Now, fat, backtrack a little bit. Waylon Mercy was a gimmick that Dan Spivey did in 95 for the WWF, which is a, was a take on the Robert De Niro, De Niro character in Cape Fear. And it reminded me of that, but it was a little bit more darker, a little bit more sinister and stuff like that. So I thought, okay, this is going to be interesting. So, you know, and I started following. And then he went NXT, became, Florida Championship Wrestling became NXT. Luke Harper ended up debuting. Then Eric Rowan came, and then all of a sudden, the Wyatt family was one, and Bray started growing his beard out a little bit longer, and he started doing other different things. He was talking different. He was talking, and he started talking like a preacher his, in that southern voice of his. And it was just, man, it was different. And then, of course, he goes to the main roster. You know, immediately he get, they get a push. Kane puts him over puts him over Miller Ring at SummerSlam. He works all the way up. Has a WrestleMania match with John Cena. I mean, they had a good match. Cena won that match. They, they he had a program with Cena. He won a match in, but he ended up losing a few, but it is what it is. That summer ends up working a program with Chris Jericho. He beats Chris Jericho in the middle of the ring. Then they break the Wyatt family up. He runs as a heel and doesn't have a match he lost. Then he has that WrestleMania 31 match with Taker, the Undertaker. Have a really has a really good match with Taker. Loses to Taker, but gets himself over still by the way the match went. And then of course, you know, he works um I mean, he, he finished the rest of the year just working on and off. The Wyatt family ends up getting back together, which they should have never broke that faction. That faction should have stayed together for a long time. Then they do the draft and split 2016. And, of course, by 2017, Wyatt wins his first world title. Then he kind of falters throughout the year a little bit more. And then, of course, in 2018, he, you know, he becomes a tag team with Matt Hardy. And it doesn't, and then they have a, they get the world tag team titles. He drops the belt. Then he disappears for a little while, and then in 2019, he comes back, and we see these fire, these gimmick, these little buzzards, and Mercy the buzzard, and all these little creatures, puppets coming up, and all of a sudden, we see that uh, there's a thing called the Firefly Funhouse, and Bray Wyatt shows up like a Mister Rogers outfit. 
He's got it. He's cleaned his hair up. He cut a lot of his dreads off. Put him up in a puts his hair up, and he he has a fresh, clean shaved bun. And everybody's talking, and he's talking like yowie, wowie, and doing all these little voices. And you know, there's a little darkness to him, but he's he's changed his act up, and he's a little bit more nicer, supposedly. Wink. And then you find out beneath that man, there is a new monster, a new character, the fiend. And then we've seen the fiend pop up, start attacking people, similar to what Kane was doing when he came out, when Kane first came out. And of course, twenty summer Sim twenty nineteen, I I watched at my uh, one of my best friends' house, Taylor Stewart. I watched one of the greatest creative entrances of all time. The fiend walks out, and he fucking squashes Finn Balor. Then he gets a world title run. That year, which they put the world title on him, and then he draws the title Elimination Chamber to Goldberg, and which is one of the biggest debacles ever. And it's not Goldberg's fault. It, it was Vince and Creative's idea for that shit. And then, of course, you know, he was going to have a match with Mania with John Cena, and the world basically shut down with COVID. And he had that Firefly Funhouse thing where he did beat Cena technically, but it really wasn't a win. And then of course, you know, they had the torrent the rest of the year he the rest of the summer he ends up feeling Strowman a little bit. Then of course, uh, he ends up having a program or a, a on-screen relationship with Alexa Bliss appearing together. Then Randy Orton gets back in the mix from this the, the 2017, 2016, 2017 run. <clears throat> and of course, you know, they do that whole thing and um, you know, Bray um, you know, Bray ends up working a program to WrestleMania. He got burned alive, then they go to WrestleMania against um, against Randy. And Alexis turns on him. Randy beats the Fiend. And of course, Bray ends up leaving at that time. And then by he was coming back for SummerSlam, was reported he was coming back around SummerSlam in 2021. And then, of course, like that, bam, uh, Bray Wyatt was fired, released. And then, of course, we speed up a year and a half. A year, a year, basically a year, two months later, he comes back, and we're caught up now. And I just ran down his career, and it sucks. I hate it. I hate it more than anything in this world, and it it bothers me. And I it, it, it and then I watched that tribute show. I didn't watch tribute show Friday night. I was at. I took my kid to the um, Southport High School football game. I want to go with some buddies? I took him, but I. My dad called me and said, "You watching?" I said, "No, I'm not watching. I'm just uh, I'm at the football game, but I'm getting people send me clips." He goes, "Man, this is pretty cool. They're doing this, and it was in Louisville, Kentucky, of all things. Shout out to Louisville, Kentucky for doing that right. You guys made me so fucking proud for what you did that night. And of course, um, you know, I started thinking about uh, you know some of the things that I remember most for Bray Wyatt. I put it in my Instagram. I put an Instagram post up on my regular Instagram page." As I pull it up here, and, and uh, I said it best, I don't want to believe this. Still, thank you at Winter Rotunda for keeping me a fan. Thank you for the moments in my life, taking my depression away. Thank you for being so creative that a world didn't know how to react to. Got a bunch of matches to show Little Man this weekend. Once again, thank you for everything. Hashtag Bray Wyatt forever and absolutely. And it's it breaks my effing heart that this happened. And I just... You know, I just, I, it, it really bothers me, man, that this happened. And I'm, you know, I just, I just don't want to believe it. I still don't want to believe it. And yeah, it absolutely fucking sucks. It sucks. But you know, I hope Bray, that tribute they did for Bray the other night, 
I hope they, you know, they do a lot. Of, I hope they look and say, man, you know what? We've done a great, you know, we did a good job. I serviced for Bray Wyatt, and I feel like they did. And it was a hell of a tribute. So, as I end this, I just read my Instagram post how I felt about Bray, but I would do this. The best way to describe Bray Wyatt is you take a little Kevin Sullivan, you take a little Raven, mix it in together, and you sprinkle a little Jake Robertson, you mix it up, that's Bray Wyatt. And that's the biggest comment. I mean, anybody knows Kevin. I mean, you go back and look, and I'll tell you this. Kevin Sullivan had his own little uh, little army of darkness. You go back to the Florida Championship Wrestling Days. Of course, the Dungeon of Doom, everybody remembers the Taskmaster. But I'm talking about his Florida days when, Jay, when before Jake Roberts was carrying a snake around, Kevin Sullivan was doing I mean, Kevin Sullivan was doing a heesh, heesh, heesh. And he was the third eye and praying to Buddha Dean and, you know, doing all the shit. And Mark Loom was sitting there rolling his eyes back in his head and shit. I mean, I mean, <laughs> you know, Sullivan was nuts. And then you got the whole Raven thing, quote the Raven Nevermore, where, you know, you would, Raven would stick his arms out like a cross. Bray kind of did that with his hands. And then Jake Roberts, obviously, we all know how I feel about Jake Roberts. Jake, the promos, the delivery. Bray kind of talked low, but he would raise his voice a little bit. But Jake never raised his voice quite often. It was kind of similar to that. And that's how great of a how great of a worker Bray was. And it's a shame he's gone, man. The wrestling world lost one of the creative, creative the most creative minds it's seen in the last twenty years. And it just sucks, man. I hate it. I have, I fucking hate it. I really do. Six matches for Wyatt. I did the same thing for Funk. I'm gonna do the same thing for Wyatt. So here are six matches for Bray Wyatt. The, the Fiend, which is, you know, Bray's character versus Daniel Bryan, a strap match at the Royal Rumble 2020 for the Universal title. You need to, I would definitely recommend y'all to check that out. Wyatt versus Roman Reigns in a Hell in a Cell match from Hell in a Cell in 2015. Another good one, excuse my, as I belched. Six-man tag, obviously people know I'm going with this. The Wyatt family versus the Shield Elimination Chamber 2014. They tore the fucking house down that night. One of my favorite matches of the... One of my favorite matches of the 2010s, seriously, ever. Of the 2010 era, that's obviously in my top five. It has to be. Talk about a WrestleMania 31, Bray Wyatt versus The Undertaker. The Fiend's debut versus versus Balor. Not the greatest match in the world, but to get, to get a character over. If you watch it, you'll understand what I mean. And, of course, the best match probably Bray ever had. The last man standing match, John Cena versus Bray Wyatt at Payback 2014. Obviously, probably the best match that Bray had. And Cena had a lot of, had a lot of great matches. Cena doesn't get the credit. I feel like he deserves. But, um, yeah, I'm just very, very excited for, uh, very, very excited for uh, what is, as I'm going to do something real quick. Uh, as I pull this, Bye. just turn my. Uh, I got a video posted for you guys later at the end of the show. Something that I wouldn't have been wanting to do, and that's it. But. Before I get into all in, I just want to say to both Terry Funk, well, actually to Bray Wyatt, uh, thank you for just, just thank you for just making me for once and once a week or twice a week or how many times I saw you on television, making me someone that could just sit back and enjoy the wrestling business. And you will forever be missed. And God rest, God bless you, brother. Have fun with Brody up there in heaven. I'm sure that Battle Royal is getting a little bit more and more wider. <laughs> all right, so let's talk about all in. So, make it real clear, I didn't watch the show live. Um, 
I will say this, AEW All In, 81,000. 81,035 people. The tagline, the biggest wrestling event in wrestling history. You know, first time a venue wrestling had ever been, had done a venue, had done the Wembley Stadium venue since obviously WWE SummerSlam 1992. And uh, this is a big deal. I mean, this is AEW's biggest record breaking attendance. I mean, obviously, 2021 Grand Slam was 20,000 fans. And then, of course, the uh, 2023 Forbidden Doors record of 1.2 the million buy rate. However, the uh, everybody says it was the uh, the paid attendance record, but it's not. They overtook the paid attendance record for WrestleMania 32, 80,000. But absolutely, actually, uh, but actually, it's actually that the everybody says it's paid, but it's not the highest attendance ever. It was actually WrestleMania did have 101,000 people in attendance that night, but only 80,000 were paid for. So yeah. That being said, let's get into it. So Zero Hour, I didn't really watch Zero Hour, but I will talk about this. I did. I watched the highlights of Zero Hour, just the matches. I didn't watch the big show Jeff Jarrett thing because I could care less, shit less. But I did watch uh, the highlights, Eclipse, of the Aussie Open. And for the Ring of Honor World Championship, Aussie Open, which is Kyle Fletcher and Mark Davis against MJF and Adam Cole. The Kangaroo Kick, MJF and Adam Cole, I thought they would win it. They won the tag titles. I thought it was a good match. Hook versus Jake Perry FT, FTW rules match for the FTW championship. Obviously, Hook won the match, but the controversy that happened was the whole real glass crime your river, the whole Jack Perry conversation with CM Punk. And of course, we all let's let's backtrack. It was reported that AEW Collision on Saturday nights, a good wrestling show that should not be on Saturday nights, should be on Thursday nights, in my opinion. I don't understand why you have to have it live on a fucking Saturday. Everybody knows. CM Punk is on that show and he has a lot of creative say on this show. It's been reported. We don't know how much is true, but it's been reported that Jack Perry wanted to do a segment on collision with glass. And Punk says it's stupid. Don't do that. Blah, 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 blah. You don't need to use glass. And basically Punk was trying to save Jack Perry's ass that you don't need glass. Just, just have fun. Of course, you know, uh, there's a spot in the match where, they're at by a hood of a car, a back hood of a car, and Hook and Perry are fighting, and Perry walks up and goes, smacks on the the, the back window, goes, see that real glass crime in a river? And CM Punk took offense to that. This be reported multiple reports, but what I've been gathering was Perry walked backstage, Punk walked up, got in his fucking face, and told him how he felt about it as Punk was getting ready to walk to the ring for his match against Samoa Joe, which opened the show, which I will talk about in a minute. And... It was said that Jack Perry was sent home, and it was been reported Punk was talking about quitting. He said he's fired, tired of the bullshit, the pettiness. In my opinion, this is this goes back on Tony Khan. I said this last year at All Out when I was on Punk's side through everything, and then I thought about, well, you know what? Things could be held differently. Here's the thing. If, if Jack Perry wants to make it in this business and wants to have fun and he wants to be somebody... You see, you can't do that in WWE. There's that Shark Tank environment will chew you up and spit you out. There's there's certain guys back there will will we'll get in your ass about that. But also, there's a, there's a couple guys in charge. They got the Endeavor thing, but you also got Vince back there, and you still got Triple H. You still got those guys in that office that make you go, you know what? This is going to happen. That being said, I. I'm on Punk's side on this. I would have reacted the same way. If I'm Punk, I just say fuck. I know Punk is Punk is really good with his money. He saved his money. He's really he's 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 got it. He's got it made. 
If I'm Punk, I would say, fuck it, I'm done. I would drop that real world championship he's got off at Tony Tons. I said, I'm done, I'm out. Buy me out. You know, don't pay me. I'm fucking done. I quit. I'm fucking done. I would have left that night. I would have booked a flight whenever it was available, and I would have got my ass up out of there. Plain and simple. I would say, fuck it, I'm done. Jack Perry was sent home. It was sent back to his hotel, and Punk left the building after that, I believe. And I really believe, in my opinion, that there probably, there's been talk that Tony Khan's going to suspend them both. Tony Khan needs to listen to this. He ever hears this, which he probably won't. But here's the thing, Tony. You need to get this shit under control because this shit's getting out of hand. Your inmates are starting to run the asylum, and that's the way it goes. That's why Tony Khan needs somebody in charge. He needs to have a backbone. You got Arn Anderson there. You got Jake Roberts there. Fucking use them, Tony. Use them. Make them do something. I'm sure they are doing something they're not told about, but they need to do something. You got to have somebody put their foot down and says, no, this shit ain't going to fly. If not, you're going to... AEW has got a really good chance. They, Tony said at the press conference, we're actually competition. You're getting there. But if you keep the shit up going, you're not going to. And it's just a fact, man. They, they got to get this shit together. And that's all the ultimate, the, uh, the event itself. CM Punk versus Samoa Joe, the first match of the night for the Royal World Championship. They do the backstory of, and I know about this too, up to uh, about a month ago on a collision, Samoa Joe has had the best CM Punk from the Ring of Honor days, and Punk got a win on him. That being said, Punk versus Joe, that being said, this is really good. Good exchanges, good spot around the table. Uh, Punk got some color. Blood is what that means. I enjoyed watching that. thought that was good because blood makes matches better. I don't care what anybody says. Tore the house down, I thought. Good match. Love the absolute finishes. I love the spot that Punk did, on, did an homage to Cena and John Cena and Hulk Hogan. Joe kicks out one, gets up, does a whole little finger point, and does a three jab. Samoa Joe throws the best left-handed jab I've seen in wrestling. Since fucking, uh, since fucking Jake Roberts. That quick stiff. Terry Funk had a good jab, but it was kind of slow, methodical. You get fucking, uh, you get fucking Jake in there. Jake would throw that quick little, that quick little jab and that, that slap and fucking, you got, uh, you get, uh, you get fucking, uh, uh, Joe in there. Joe throws that jab with a theory, uh, with a force behind it. And I love it. Um, did a lot of good, I love the old, uh, Joe locked in the STF, but, Punk was able to counter to a, a cover. I like that idea. Instead of telling the story of Punk dragging the ropes with 300 pounds on his back, he was able to reverse it and get it out of it. I thought that was good. The top row finish, basically Joe goes from Muscle Buster, Punk, Punk blocks it and hits the Pepsi Blunge, one, two, three in the middle of the ring. Good finish, great match. Thought it was a good, I thought it was really good. Enjoyed it. The fourth, the, the next match of the night was the six-man tag, Bullet Club Gold and Kosha Tenkasha. I can't say his name right against um, the Golden Elite. And I will state this. I think Tantashka is a has a lot of potential. I think he's got good size. I think he has a good presence in the ring. I think his selling is a little... It, it's too Japanese. And what I mean by that is very the Japanese style, what he's taught. But I think he has potential to be a really dominant heel. And I think Don Callis with him gives him a little edge. Uh, Jay White, I think, has got a rivability. I think he looks great. I think he has a good promo, good presence. Juice Robinson... Juice Robinson, as a fan, please shut the fuck up during your matches. My God, you see him on the entrance. He's doing like a, he's on the ground like a dog walking. And then the whole time he's talking in the match from the ring up, get his ass, get his ass. Like shut up, Jesus Christ. And of course, the Golden Elite, you got Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi with Hangman Page. 
You know, I watched a lot of Ibushi. There is nothing about Ibushi that excites me. Not a single thing. Oh, his great striking ability and everything else. His strikes look great, but it's not like it was nothing that wowed me. Uh, Kenny Omega, I will say this. I don't know what it is, but Kenny Omega is starting to grow on me. I like Kenny Omega when he separates himself from the Bucks and everybody else. That's what that's what I figured out. When he's one on one, I can tolerate him. I, I enjoy him. When he's with the Bucks and they start clowning around, that's when I start just losing my shit a little bit. I'm like, oh my god, be serious. But they did a great. I thought the six man got the job done. Obviously, we got all out coming up the next week in Chicago. Which, ugh, good lord. But Jay White and the whole crew, they do this whole thing back and forth, blah, blah, blah. They're kicking ass, taking names, and everything's going well. And back and forth tag team, a lot of high spots. And Omega's making a little bit of a run, going to finish it off. And then Kasha sneaks up behind with a roll-up, pins him one, two, three, gets the win on Omega. So Omega's willing to do business if it's the right way. I like that. Giza, they're obviously they're going to go with Omega and Takashi next week and all in, all out in Chicago. They're going to run it back next week, but it's a big win and I thought it was really good and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> the tag team match for the AEW World Tag Team Championships: FTR versus Young Bucks, the third match. And I will state this right now: everybody knows me. I'm not a fan of the Super Kick Party. I am not a Young Bucks supporter. I never have been, never will be. I love me some FTR. That being said. Out of all the matches on the show, once again, it was the best fucking match on the card. This was great. FTR went out there. They had a great story. Great. See, tag team wrestling get away with false finishes because of the, the impact and the, the drama involved because guys can run in, make saves, and everything else. They just did a great. They just did a great job. As my OD ball chat sends a text message, I just felt like this was a great, great match with a lot of good things. I thought it was a really good showing. From both guys, I thought both guys did an awesome job. Both teams, excuse me. Bucks came out, they looked ready, they were, they were sharp. FTR is always on their game. I love the fucking finish of FTR hit Shire Machine. Um, I appreciate Devon, you letting us know what's going on. Um, FTR, you know, they did a lot of false finishes. Um, FTR hit their Shire Machine, they, the Bucks kicked out of it. Um, the Bucks hit hit the, the BET trigger twice, they kicked out of it. One actually, they hit one on Cash after hitting the Shire Machine on Dax. Dax got up, and of course, the great finish. They got they got distracted, and the FTR picks him up. One, two, three. I thought it was a great match. I thought it was a great match. I'm trying to remember much, but I've taken a nap since I watched it. I'm trying to remember much, I'm just try- because I'm trying to get the show out because I'm busy as hell. So I'm just I'm just glimpsing what it is. I thought it was really I thought it was really well put. I thought it, they did a great job telling the story. I also believe, in my opinion. That uh, I just feel like when FTR is in the ring with somebody, you can just have fun watching that tag team wrestling match. They've done a great job, and of course, the drama after the match where FTR extends their hand, and of course, nothing happened. They just walk away, so they didn't respect them. Then we go to match six: Stadium Stampede. Eddie Kingston, Pelta El Zero, Merido, Best Friends, Chuck Taylor, Trent Moretta, and Orange Cassidy versus the Blackpool Combat Club, which is Claudio Casanelli, Willa Yuta, John Moxley, and Mike and Santa Ana Ortiz, Proud and Powerful. And I got to admit, Stadium Stampede, the first one was a little too much for me back in, back when the pandemic happened to Double or Nothing 2020. Obviously, we all talk about um, the Stadium Stampede match at, at Double or Nothing 2021, which I had a lot of fun watching. This was the first one since then. And I will make it clear, I actually thought that 
this was was solid in spots. I felt like it was a little overhanded. Um, I absolutely love Eddie Kingston, but Eddie Kingston is starting to wear me thin with some things. The whole John Moxley get out of my way, John. You know this whole bromance thing. I wish they just blow over. Um, I thought it was great seeing Santana back with Ortiz. Everybody knows me. I'm a huge Santana fan. I think the guy's money. They did. I thought they were good in this. I thought that Penta did a great job. I mean, he was really obviously the uh, the where those things called that those spikes or whatever those they stick at each other's head. I thought that spot with Moxley was nuts. Tremperetta bled like a stuck pig. Liked that a lot. Eddie Kingston was bleeding. Uh, John Moxley, obviously, every time you fucking touch him, he bleeds. And they had a they had a little bit of a they had a good war. And my only bitching, I'm gonna bitch about this. Cody Castanoli is the Ring of Honor World Champion, plain and simple. Orange Cassidy is the AW International Champion, which is he does everything. You know, he try. I mean, he's defending the title nonstop. Great, he's done a great job. He's basically their television champion if you look at it. That being said. The finish was, they tell the story that, you know, he does that, that orange punch, the Superman punch. He hit Claudio with it tw- two or three times, and Claudio kicked out. And then he decides that my hands, they tell the story that his hand's not messed, is messed up. He takes his, the duct tape wraps it around, and he sticks his hand in glass. And he hits, basically Claudio gets caught up, and Claudio gets hit. Eddie hits the, uh, the, the, the backhand fist. He takes Moxie through a table of barbed wire. And Cassie hits an orange punch with glass. Claudio doesn't bleed at all. And he pins Claudio one, two, three in the middle of the ring. Here's my thing. I get Orange Cassie. You want to put Orange Cassie's wrestling with John Moxley next week at All Out for the uh, for that title. And I understand it and I get it. I 100% understand it. I get it. Here's my opinion. Everybody says Claudio Castanelli was better off in AEW or, ring, or with Ring of Honor or whatever he is than he is with... Uh, with WWE. Can you explain to me how? You're the Ring of Honor World Champion. You lost to a secondary title holder in AEW. I don't care if you got hit in the face with glass. I don't care what. You should not have been in the finish. Why could they have beaten Willer Yuta? Why couldn't they have beaten... Willer Yuta could have took that fall like no question. They could have beat Wita, Willer Yuta. Or how about this? Why couldn't Moxley get the win over Orange Cassidy? Or better yet, how about this? What if Eddie Kingston fucking pinned Moxley? Because everybody knows, including me, that we want to see Eddie Kingston and Moxley go at it. People want to see that match. Just didn't care for it at all. I did not care for this match at all. And I just it was solid for what it was. It was mayhem, but the finish, I just I thought it was a fart. fart. Four-way women's world championship match. Soraya versus Tony Storm. Akita Sharuda, which is the world champion. Dr. Britt Breaker. Soraya came out to uh, Queen. We were rocking with her family. And I knew right then there Soraya was going to. I could have to. I knew what the finish was already. But I knew. I said, if I had seen that live, I said, she's going to win this. Soraya actually won this. It went 8 minutes 50 seconds. And they didn't get enough time. And I felt like it was bullshit. I felt like they should have got more time. Uh, Soraya pinned Tony Storm to win the belt, so that makes me wonder, are the outcasts going to split? Happy for Soraya getting a chance to win a world championship. We all know Mercedes Monet. Sasha Banks was in was in the crowd, and people wonder, they were speculating. So Alex Excalibur, who was fucking atrocious last on this, this event, by the way, said, well, is uh, Mercedes Monet going to show up in AEW? And it's just like, whatever. I think, in my opinion, that it was, it was good for what it was, but I felt like... You shortchanged the girls, and I kind of liked it. My second favorite match of the night, and this is going to be a hot take, the coffin match, Swerve and Chris K- Christian Cage versus Darby Allin Sting. 
Swerve comes out to a great ovation. Guy who does his theme music does it. Swerve had 80,000 people going to Swerve's house. Christian Cage comes out. I love the gimmick him and Luchasaurus doing with the TNT Championship. Giving that title a little prestige with them holding it. That being said, um, Darby Allen and Sting do a little great video vignette with Sting in a Jack the Ripper thing, talking English, and he talks. Then he breaks the English character, goes into a, a different number of voice, and all of a sudden the lights go on. I'm thinking, oh, they're gonna play their normies, and then you hear that that da 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 that guitar riff, and I'm like, oh, Secret Destroy Metallica. So I, I kind of marked out for that. I was excited, and they came out, and that cough match. Sting is 64 years of age. And he looks, I mean, he does it in timely spots, but he looks great doing this. I don't know how he's doing it, but it was awesome. I thought the finish was great. The coffin thing where um, I felt like they kept Christian out of it because they're trying to keep Christian away from this. They could beat Swerve. Swerve and Sting had a great exchange. I'll be honest with you. I want to see Swerve get the single titles run. I think it's time he gets some type of title around his waist. (coughs) They had a great, I thought the finish was great with the coffin. Where Sting, Scorpion, Jeff dropped him on the coffin. Swerve fought back. <coughs> Swerve got out of the coffin. Darby Allen comes up top rope, hits the coffin drop, and they put him in the coffin. It was it was to get the finish. Thought it was really good. Thought it was a really good match, and I enjoyed. It. I had a lot of fun watching it. It was controlled violence, and just it was just cool seeing a seek and destroy moment. Match number nine: Will Ospreay with Don Callis versus Sammy. Um, sorry, versus Chris Jericho with Sammy Guevara. I will say this right here, right now. That Judas performance by Chris Jericho. Instrumentally, it sounded fine. Jericho's voice sounded like shit. Um, I just didn't care. For, I just thought, okay, Jericho. This I know you're not trying to flex your ego, but that's really flexing your fucking ego. Um, Osprey comes out. And here's the thing about Osprey. I know Osprey is a fan favorite online. I've never been a glamored by him. I've always thought he was a good worker, but not the best. Um, Osprey did a hell of a job. I will say this. They had a really good match. I thought they were really good. Jericho had a couple fuck-ups in this match that were very noticeable to the point I was like, Jericho, like, Chris, you're 50 years old, man. You ain't got to do this shit. You can have a good match, but just take some time, pull some shit back. You know, goddamn, Chris. But anybody knows what I'm talking about. Um, Sammy, uh, Osprey kicked Jericho used a low blow on Will Osprey hits him with the Judas effect makes a slow cover Osprey kicks out of it so the first person to kick out of the Judas effect Osprey hits his finish once Jericho kicks out Eric, Jericho like kind of flicks his chin I'm like hit me again Osprey hits him again with another elbow picks him up hits his finish pins him one two three in the middle of the ring Osprey gets a win fourteen minutes fifty five seconds outside those two boxes I thought it was a really good solid match I enjoyed it. Um, the post-match thing, they talked about Jericho didn't really want a match. Jericho has put a lot of people over. I will give Jericho credit. So far this year, Jericho has put a lot of guys over. Um, Adam Cole, a double or nothing, that match stunk, but he put him over. Um, Adam, uh, Jericho, uh, obviously Will Ospreay, he put over Ricky Starks as well. I mean, he's put a lot of guys over. So they're doing this angle where, you know, I guess him and Sammy are going to work. It seems like him and Sammy are going to have something going on. Um, we'll find out, but you can see Jericho's putting a lot of guys over. He's kind of, I don't know if Jericho's taking a step back, but it just looks like, yeah. Tenth match of the night, or the not the eighth of uh, the tenth match in the whole card, but the eighth match, the ninth match on the um, on the um, the eighth match on the um, the regular card. The no house rules, no holds bar, six man tag team match with the World Trios titles. The acclaim with Billy Gunn against the House of Black. 
I would say this, that was the, House of Black has a really cool entrance. That was the best entrance by the House of Black with the white robes and everything and the lantern. I thought that was cool. Billy Gunn and the Acclaimed. I thought they did a really, really great job. I thought it was a good match. I thought it was, they did it. I thought this match, it was quick and fast and it didn't drag long. And I was surprised that the Acclaimed won this. I thought, I thought we saw badass Billy Gunn. We, he, I mean, they did a spot with Julia, but obviously it was it was a good match to the standpoint that it was good seeing the acclaim got serious. They were they weren't themselves. They were kind of got serious, and Billy Gunn led the way. I mean, B- Billy Gunn got the best of Brody King in the strange finally. Malachi Black, I think, is money, and I think Buddy Matthews has a lot of ability too in the ring. That being said, it was. They had a good little run with the World Trios titles. They dropped it in Wembley Stadium. Nothing wrong with that. Main event time. The World's, AWS World Championship. Adam Cole versus MJF. MJF looks like a million dollars coming out. First off, Adam Cole comes out. He looks like a guy should be bagging groceries. Just saying as a wrestler. MJF looks fucking fantastic. Looks like he's money. Looks like he's ready to perform in front of any night. I thought the mat, uh, storytelling was great. MJF was doing a little bit of his heel tactics, even though he was keeping it clean. The whole best friend thing they're doing has been really good. Uh, I thought the I did think some of the story was being dragged. Like I thought the tombstone on the table, MJF dropping him was ridiculous. Even though then Adam Cole decides to him with a brain buster on the stairs and Adam, MJF doesn't bleed. I thought that you know he could have bled in that. Um, I thought they did a great job going back and forth with holds. I thought MJF showed he's a great worker. He can do a lot of things. I thought. Adam Cole did a lot of great spots in this. I just think that Adam Cole, his physique just throws me off. If he was a little bit just more beefier or bulked up, I would be fine. But he's just so fucking thin, man. MJF fires up a little bit on him. Um, I thought the uh, the uh, I like the double clothesline spot for both teams to get a one, two, three. And it was a draw, and people kind of like, what? And then MJF gets on the microphone and goes, no, we're not doing that. Hell, an extra five minutes. Hell with an extra five minutes. Hell with this. Hell with that. We ain't leaving Wembley. We ain't leaving until we have a fucking winner in Wembley. And the crowd popped, and they went back and forth again. Went back and forth. Roger Strong comes out. He nut checks MJF. Adam Cole has no idea what's going on. And I love the chair spot where they're throwing a chair back and forth. Adam Cole throws down, falls down. Then MJF lays on there with the thing. And then of course, back and forth. Roddy gets involved. MJF seizes up on fucking uh, on Adam Cole. One, two, three. Wins the match. And after the match, MJF goes, "It could have happened. Either one of us. Don't worry about." It. And they end the show celebrating. The thing goes up the air, and they announced that next year they're going. It's going to be a yearly event. They're going to do Wembley Stadium every year, except the weekend. This weekend ever a yearly event in Wembley. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, how do I feel about the show in general, though? I will say this. I think it was one of the better AEW pay-per-views. I feel like that there was a lot of great things that happened in the show. I felt like there was a lot of things that kind of made me scratch my head. I felt like, you know, there was 80,000 fans, 81,000 fans have announced. I don't think, it, I, I don't want to rate on their parade on tickets. I know that it's been announced their tickets have been sold a certain way, blah, blah, blah. I do think there was 80,000 or 78 to 79. I don't think there was 81. But I'm not nitpicking. They did. A, they had a great house. I would love to see the entire bullet top filled out. But they did a great job. And that's all that matters. And I think they, it was awesome. So congratulations to AEW doing this house. It's good for wrestling. It's good for the business. The boys are going to get paid a hell of a paycheck too for this as well. I guarantee you that. Even on their deals. 
That being said, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm going to give this a solid 8.5 out of 10. I thought it was a really good show, good performances, good entrances. It felt like a WrestleMania. It felt like a Super Bowl. It felt like a big show. And I just I just really enjoyed it. I, I can't wait for now. I, I, all out is probably going to be a downer because how can you come back with that? But it was a, it was a damn good time. So, as I finish up my main topics, I have an announcement to make. Now, what was the announcement I was going to make? What was I going to make? What was I going to do? What was I going to say? I have been talking about a YouTube channel for the last six months. That being said, on October 1st, 2023, the YouTube channel, the official YouTube channel, Shelby Green, will be launching. Yes, it will be launching, and I will make this clear. The podcast format will change with the YouTube channel. I will not be doing movie reviews. I will not be talking anything outside professional wrestling or sports on this outside of professional wrestling pod. This podcast, playing some movie void for him. Wrestling, sports will be the main focus of this podcast. Movie reviews, television series reviews, anything like that will be strictly focused for that that YouTube channel. I will have more announcements in the week. Obviously, the podcast. I will keep the podcast on. It won't. I've thought about putting the podcast on YouTube. But I feel like a streaming service is better for downloading. It actually makes the podcast run better. But that being said, guys, it's been a hell of a journey. I appreciate your support. The podcast ain't going away now. And I will admit, I have another thing to announce. I was talking to Dad about this. And Dad and I have been talking about rebuilding this podcast, shutting this one down, starting one together, me and him. Try and get the figure dates out to that, and we'll see what happens. So, I usually end it with my famous line. I don't bullshit. I just tell it like it is straight up. But today, that don't sit right with me at all. Actually, I'm going to... I got two more things to play for you guys, and then we're going to sign out. Plain and simple. Every night... We lay our heads down to dream. And that's when our minds really start to tick. We start remembering all these things, these horrible things, these travesties that have happened to us in our lives. But in our dreams, we're superheroes. And in our dreams, we can fix Everything we dream of revenge, we dream of payback. And just like that, man, just like that, we wake up. And that's when reality starts to set in. That's when we go to the mirror and we look in and we remember that we are not superheroes. And that we cannot fix everything. And so we bottle all this rage up inside of us and we go on living our dismal little lives as if nothing is wrong, but everything, everything, everything is wrong. And I plan on fixing that. You see, I used to have this mean old teacher and this teacher, she used to look down upon me and she went to great measures to make sure that I remembered that I was a piece of trash and that I would never amount to anything in my life. She believed that everything she read in a book was true and that everything that I believed in was a lie. So, so I went up to her and I said, Miss Teacher Lady, 
What is it about you that makes you think that you're so much better than me? That makes you think you're so much smarter than me? Is it because, is it because your mommy and daddy paid for you to go to some fancy school so that you can wave this diploma around all of us? So that you can look down upon children and force feed them propaganda? Well, I say, nah. -uh. She looked at me and she said, Bray Wyatt, you are rotten. You stand for nothing. She said, Bray Wyatt, the first time that I ever looked inside of your eyes, I knew there was something inside of you. I knew that you were evil. <laughs> But I'm proud to say that right now, somewhere, that teacher lady is rotting inside of some retirement home filled up with all of her life's regrets. But I, Bray Wyatt, stand here in front of you today as a conqueror, as a revolutionary, as the man of a thousand troops. And I say, Miss Teacher Lady, look at me right now. I got the whole damn world in my hands. That is my payback. My ends justify my means. <sighs> Easily. My favorite Bray Wyatt promo. And we're going to show. I did the same thing for Jay Briscoe. And I'm definitely going to do this for Bray as well. As the ads go on, I just want to make this real clear. <sighs> Thank you, Bray, for everything. And you're you're maybe gone, but you're not forgotten.